Hey. <laughs> so tonight can really go one of a couple of ways, and we're just going to kind of ride the wave and see where we end up. I have something prepared. We'll see if I get through all of it. We'll see. Um, before we jump into prayer, before I jump into story time, before I do all that, um, I just want to really encourage you guys for tonight, really praying and kind of asking God sort of like, what's your heart for the night? Um, I really, really felt like this was like a really invitational kind of night um, insofar as like it's okay to come in expecting and really wanting an encounter. It's okay to really come in and expecting like I don't want to just hear about God. I don't want to hear about how to live. I don't want to hear the same thing I've heard all over the place. I want something real. I want something more than what they've told me about this God. I want the real thing. Um, and I think it's okay whether you're just browsing or you've been saved your whole life and you're just moving and it's awesome. I think it's okay to be c just come in expectant, to come in with that really just like uh, just hungry for it. Just I want this and I'm going to plant myself here and be unmoved until I, until he shows up. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is where <laughs> is here. You know, we're two or more gathered in his name. He's here. So he's here and he's real and it's okay to like treat him like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, so I just want to encourage you guys with that as just like a heart posture. It's okay to come wanting more. It's okay to want to leave this building more free and better than you came in. It's okay not to settle. It's okay not to treat this like every other single time you've been in a building like this. Um, because God is alive, and he is, whether we believe it or not. Um, and it's okay to come expecting. Um, so I'm just going to pray for our time. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you so much for each and every person here, um, for just bringing them in, just drawing them into this place today. God, we believe that you are so intentional, that you have such a purpose for their lives, such a rich purpose, God, and we thank you for that. We thank you, God, that where you are, there is freedom. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to just flood this place. God, we invite you to set our hearts on fire tonight. We invite you to break our hearts. We invite you to teach us something. We invite you to just be real to us. So we thank you, God, and we ask that you just bless our time and just bless my words. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. All right. <laughs> so we're talking about freedom. How many here were here last week for the beginning of our freedom series? Awesome. Yes. So we're on week two of freedom. Um, this, today I'm going to be talking, hopefully, on freedom from our past. Um, but before we get into that, I want to get into just kind of like a couple thoughts I have just on freedom and what I think that means. Um, and again, the way I kind of process information, I do really well with stories. Um, so I'm going to start with a brief story. Uh, yes, story time. Um, so when I was a younger man, um, I would get in trouble quite frequently in like a really, really like the same exact way every time. And that was I had a real smart mouth. And I'm not saying I had a good vocabulary. I'm saying I was sassy. I'm saying I was a smart aleck. I was saying I, I thought I was the cleverest little three, four, five, 18, 20-year-old. Like, you know, I, I thought I was real. I thought I was something else. I thought, you know what? Yeah, that's right. You just got hit with a wit bomb, and that was just great. Um, well, it was not great. <laughs> and when I was a kid, that made me kind of the insolent little kid running around. Um, so I got grounded quite a bit. Um, and for me, the biggest thing was if, if, the, if the punishment, or if the, if the crime, so to speak, was me talking out of turn and really talking out of line, mostly to my parents, unfortunately, um, <laughs> the punishment was always like timeout. For me, it was timeout. Like, what's the best way we can stop him from being all sassy? <laughs> Let's just put him away in the corner and just like not talk to him until he's done his time. Um, my brother had the same affliction as me, so we both got timeouts quite a bit in our own respective rooms. Um, but what would happen was we would kind of like be in our room and they'd close the door and be like, stay in here for 20 minutes, an hour, two days. It depends on how bad it was. Um, just kidding, not never two days. Um, but sometimes me and my brother would kind of like open the door and peek out into the hallway and be like, all clear, I think we can come out. And our parents would be like, no, no, get back in there. Punishment is doubled, you know. Um, and so me and my brother were just really bad at actually staying in timeout. If we were both grounded at the same time, we tried to sneak into each other's room so we could play or whatever. Um, so what my parents did was actually they installed these little latches on the outside of the doors. That was, that was so high up that me and my brother couldn't reach them. So we couldn't, like, lock each other in, but they were enough to keep us trapped when we were grounded. Um, yeah. And so I remember one time I was grounded, and it was for an eternity, which was actually 10 minutes. Um, but I was of the age that that felt like forever. 
And it was like the last thing I wanted to do. And especially because my favorite TV show was on and I was going to miss 10 minutes. And at that point, what's the point? Um, yeah, I know. It's just agony. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so basically, my parents were like, okay, you're in timeout. You know, and I, I, I kicked and I cried and I was all mad. And, uh, you know, they closed the door and I hear the little latch. And my heart sinks. And I'm like, oh, man. All right. Got to serve the time. Like, can't get out. I wasn't strong enough to push out my window yet. So I'm like, all right, I'm just in here. And so literally I hear the TV in the other room playing my show. And I am not able to watch it. And I am just inconsolable. I'm crying. I'm, I'm yelling at my parents. Let me out of here. I don't want to be out. It's, and, you know, and then, like, I got quiet for a while, you know, presumably, like, let it hit me and be like, okay, okay, okay. And then I was like, I'm ready to come out and still silence. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? And then I freaked out again. Well, apparently, okay, I was so loud, and my, my room didn't have a watch or a clock or none of that. And so I was so loud that apparently what I missed was when the 10 minutes were up and my mom unlocked the door. So I, it was unlatched, but I was just screaming and moaning and everything, and I ended up staying in timeout for like half an hour. And I finally, like, banged on the door, and my mom, like, literally just opened the door and was just like, I let you out of here 20 minutes ago. Why are you still in here? And I was just like, what are you talking about, you know? Um, Anyway, that's my story. And what does that have to do with freedom? It's because that's how we treat freedom sometimes. <laughs> that's how we treat freedom. Um, and I'll just get into that in a second. If you're like, what, is, what are you talking about? What does that even mean? Um, I will get there. Um, <laughs> so real freedom is something else that, like, in the Christian life, right, we're really big on freedom. You know, Christ set us free. That's awesome. And it's so much so that we think that freedom is something that's, like, automatic, you know? And we are freed in Christ, praise the Lord. But there's a difference between, like, being set free and, like, moving in freedom. You know what I mean? There's a difference between the door is locked and I can't get out to the door is unlocked. I'm free, but I'm not walking outside. I'm still sitting in the little cell. Um, yeah, that's just how it works. If, in Galatians 5.1, if we want to pull that up, I, I spoke, I think, on the same verse a couple weeks ago, but it really holds true here. Um, it says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is a really interesting verse, and this kind of speaks to what I'm kind of talking about here. Is like, for freedom Christ has set us free. We've been set free in Christ. Praise the Lord if we're believers. Um, but it says stand in the same sentence. It has the semicolon. So it's the different clause, same sentence. It says, like, in the same breath, stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit to the yoke of slavery. That means there's a way that Christ has set us free, but we can submit back to a yoke of slavery if we're not standing firm, if we're not, you know, going after that freedom. There's a way that we can be freed in Christ, but still be totally bound. And why is that? Because we submit to slavery, whether we realize it or not. And that's why you have people that understand the freedom of Christ, and they're awesome. And you're like, I have the same spirit, presumably. I'm a Christian. Why do I feel bound? Why do I feel tortured? Why do I feel like I'm not? It's because we're submitting to slavery. It's because we're acting like I did when I was a kid, which was just, hey, you're free. <laughs> hey, walk out. But we're so consumed in all these things that we don't realize we're submitting to slavery in different ways. Um, another analogy that I, I hear a lot with this that's actually really similar to my anecdote, but I'll share it in case the childhood thing didn't, didn't do it for you guys. Um, it's like imagining you're in a jail cell and you're chained up, you're locked to the wall, you're doing that whole thing. And one day, someone comes in, maybe the warden or whatever, unlocks you, leaves the, the cell door wide open. All the, all the doors are wide open all the way outside. Um, like, that's what Christ does. He opens all the doors, he breaks all the locks, so you, you're free. I have set you free, you are completely free. We need to stand firm in that freedom, and that means we walk out. That means we walk into the actual freedom he gives us. Because if we don't, what happens? We'll still sit in the cell. And we might have the chains off, we might have the door open, but we're still effectively prisoners because we're still in that same cell. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing is, guys, is as, as believers, especially for you guys in here that are believers, it's an imperative that we live free. One, because it was paid for at such a high price, but two, what, what kind of tool is that for the kingdom if people look at our lives and we look totally tortured and more bound up than the guy next to us? <laughs> and be like, God is so good. Really? Because you don't look so good. 
you know, and I'm not saying you need to be like Prozac jolly for Christ 24 hours a day. I'm not saying that at all. We, as Christians, we should be the most genuine people in the whole block. If things are real, they're real, but there's a way to do that in a way that I'm like, I still have joy. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a state that says, I know I am saved and my God is good. And even if my circumstances implode, God is good. That's joy. That's freedom. The problem is that as Christians, we can sometimes still submit and we don't look free. And that's bad on two fronts. It's bad for ourselves because nobody likes to be not free. <laughs> nobody likes to be enslaved. And it's also really bad for all the people around us that we wear the banner of Christian. We should demonstrate that freedom. And they miss out. They are shortchanged on what Jesus has done because we're submitting to the yoke of slavery. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is kind of the verse that I did to tie into that last statement of, like, as Christians, it's imperative that we live as free. <laughs> and again, it's not to cover our own thing. It's not like, it's not like we have the get-out-of-hell pass, you know? Like it's, not like the, it's not like, let's just, like, really load it up, but we still get heaven. Like, we don't abuse it. If we understand our freedom, we don't abuse it because <laughs> we understand the cost that was paid for it. Um, but it's imperative, you know? And Peter just ushers us, live as people who are free because we've been set free. Might be asking, what do you mean I've been set free? If we're believers, that means we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Praise the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a promise. That's bedrock. <laughs> if we're a Christian, we can rely on the fact that I have been set free. It might not feel like that because there might be areas in my life that I've submitted to the yoke of slavery, but I have been set free. <laughs> So that's just an opening thought on freedom, but tonight we're going to be talking about freedom specifically in the area of our own past. Um, and I want to be really clear, a lot of this I'm going to be talking about of like our past before coming to Christ, but honestly the more I prayed about it, the more I really realized like that can mean anywhere before right this second. Our past is anything before right here. Because you know what, like his grace is big. <laughs> we can't out -sin the cross. It's not like because, like, I mean, some of us, it's like, yeah, we definitely know how we were like before we were saved. Like, those were like, those were like the big boy sins, you know what I mean? Like, we know those were a big deal, but for some of us that maybe have been in, been in this game for a while, we've, we've been in the Christian life for a while, we might have still really blown it. Some of us might have blown it worse after we got saved than before we got saved. And so I don't want to alienate you guys. The past is anything before right now. Literally, you could have done something terrifying in the hallway, but right now, that's the past, all right? <laughs> Anyway, I hope not. Um, but why I decided when we're talking about freedom, why is freedom from our past so important? Because the past is something that can be just such a, a, just a trap for us. It can be such a pit for us. It can be such a place that just collects all this like shame and regret and guilt. And it can lead to bitterness and self-hatred and all sorts of strongholds and all sorts of horrible things that we have to mess with. Um, and it's not healthy for us. <laughs> We're not meant to carry that. Sometimes the past can be that yoke of slavery that we submit to. Sometimes we want to move in freedom, but it's like, really, you? Really, you're going you're gonna to try to live like this? Really? I saw you that night. You're going to try this? <laughs> I've seen you, what you've done with those hands. Really, you're the one that's really trying to lay hands to heal this person? Really, you? Even if we're free from the little incidents in our past, sometimes we're not free from that haunting voice that's just like, really, you? Sometimes we're not free from that thing of just like, I just, I hate myself. <laughs> sometimes, I, I think for most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we are really our own worst enemies. You know what I mean? And sometimes the biggest ammunition for ourselves is our own past. Sometimes the biggest things against us are all the ways we've fallen short. It might not even be sin issues for us. It might be failures, but sometimes those can be just as damaging as far as how we're supposed to live free. It might, yeah, again, it might not be a sin issue at all, but it might be last time I tried this, I failed. Last time I tried this, I, fall, I fell flat on my face. Before the starting line, I just, I already was out. It was embarrassing. I was weak. I was, I just failed. And the thing is, we don't live free there either. <laughs> and the thing about the past is sometimes, regardless of whether we, realize it or not, sometimes we let the past cap our future. And that's not living free. <laughs> so my first point is, don't let your past cap your future. 
I like repeating stuff, so there it is right there. Um, if you really don't like that phrase, I have another one for you that's essentially the same idea. It's don't let yesterday's failure dictate tomorrow's victories. Just because I feel like a failure, just because I've tripped up, just because I haven't done this thing perfectly, that doesn't influence my tomorrow. Not when God's with me. Not when he transforms me. Not when I'm repentant. Not when I do this thing right. Not when I'm free. When I'm free, yesterday has no bearing on tomorrow. Not in any appreciable sense. Because <laughs> the thing is, as Christians, sometimes we forget that we are made new. Sometimes we forget that Jesus says we have to be born again. <laughs> sometimes we forget that we, we, the whole, one of the foundational things of our belief is that we died with Christ and we were risen with Christ. The old me has passed away. I'm something new. I've been born again. That's the only way to do the Christian life. And we forget that sometimes. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I like making these points, and then when you're starting to doubt it, it'll be like, scripture. <laughs> but yeah, there's some truth right there. Um, so number two is, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. It's simple. It is not complicated. And the thing is, the cool thing about the Bible, the cool thing about God, <laughs> is that it's just true. <laughs> the cool thing about it is, like, it's very rarely, like, don't practice what you preach. Like, if God says this is truth, he demonstrates that. <laughs> Some people of God really demonstrate that. Um, so I like the idea of we're a new creation. And I was praying about it, like, where is this? Like, who, who's a good example of this? I kept getting drawn back to Apostle Paul. His whole deal was he started off as this guy named Saul, <laughs> who was just, just pretty gnarly. And honestly, I'm honestly just going to read this scripture and let him explain it to himself. Um, at this point in his life, he was appearing basically on trial. They basically captured him for being just a believer and evangelizing and stuff. And he was before, I believe, just a bunch of Rome. He was before King Agrippa. And he was just, he's in the court system. And they basically said, like, testify. Like, what are you doing here? What's the deal? Um, so this is a lot, so bear with me. But it's out of Acts 26, verses 9 through 20. <laughs> and this is Paul speaking. It says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise up and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the regions of Judea, and, all and also to all the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Whew, that was a lot. Oh, that was good. For people that aren't familiar with this story, or maybe got a little lost as I just read that book, um, this guy, he just came after the church. He literally was part of the people that basically sentenced Christians to die. You know, when Stephen was getting stoned, he was in the crowd. He literally tried to get him into blasphemy. He tried to, he just persecuted them. He literally, he, he brought his persecution to other cities. Like it wasn't about even just driving them out of his city. He went to other cities just to squash the church and to squash God's chosen people. <laughs> he literally killed Christians. He went after them. This dude was into some gnarly stuff. And God appeared to him on the road 
knocked him down, blinded him. <laughs> and literally, I just think it's so interesting that he says, like, who are you? He didn't even know who he was. <laughs> and I love he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. It's me. I'm here. I'm real. And I like that he just says, but get up because I'm choosing you now to testify about me to all these crazy. After this incident, Paul was blind for a while. <laughs> and I think that's interesting, too, because part of his commission was like darkness to light. He was commissioned like, I want you to, to make them see. I want you to show them. I want you to testify to all of them. This guy was literally about as far opposed from being used by God as possible. He literally made it his life mission to travel around destroying the church and murdering Christians. And God came up to him and said, like, I choose you. You're my instrument. You're the one I'm, I'm, I'm it's you. <laughs> I pick you. And God just set him free. <laughs> God forgave him. He had a purpose for him. I don't know if there was anyone in that crew, if there was any, there's even like accounts in, in Acts about all the, the church when they found out that Paul was now saved. People didn't even believe. People were still scared. Like literally this guy's going around killing all these people in your group and now it's like, oh, he's a Christian. They're probably like Trojan horse. Um, <laughs> like they didn't want to believe him. That's how far apart he was. That's how radical it was. Um, like, do we understand how crazy that was? This is the kind of people that God chooses. This is the kind of people that when he says, like, no one is excluded. He literally chose the guy that was killing all of his disciples. <laughs> he chose that guy. I'm pretty sure none of us in this room have done something that gnarly. And if we have, praise the Lord, there's precedent of God showing up and still using people and setting them free. Um, I just love that. And what's interesting is that Paul then became someone who understood what freedom meant. He understood what forgiveness meant. He understood what being loved was. He understood purpose. He understood it more than most people. He understood grace because God saved him and revealed his grace in such a powerful way. And so it makes me wonder, with a guy that has this past that haunts him so much, like literally now that you're saved and now that the spirit of God's in you, how much are you tortured by the fact that you're putting all of them to death? The fact you were denying that Jesus was God, how are you doing when you're struck down on the ground and you see this guy come out of light and he says, I'm the one, I'm Jesus, I'm the one you're persecuting? What goes through his head? <laughs> how does the past haunt this guy? What does he do with his past? I think of littler things I've done that just haunt me. What did I do with the guy that killed Christians and then became one of the most radical evangelists, Bible writer, all of that? I guarantee that past has a place that just nodded him. So what do you do with that? Paul, influenced by the Holy Spirit, wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul himself, I love that he addresses his brothers in this way. I love that he like, recognizes that the past is a struggle for people. I love that he is the one that writes this scripture down because he is the one that, like, tell me about pasts. My past was I killed this thing that I'm now laying my life down for. His past was the gnarliest, and that was the picture from him is, guys, what do we do with our past? We forget what lies behind, and we press on towards the goal of the upward call. And that's an interesting phrase, the upward call of Christ. I was thinking about that a lot this week. What does that even mean? <laughs> what does that look like? It's great to forget what lies behind. I think I get that. <laughs> I think I get what that means. Just like, yeah, let's not think about that. But it's interesting because it's not about just forgetting. It's also about training your eyes on this upward call that Christ gives us. And I think that wh what that means is when we have those things on our heart, <laughs> Jesus, God's moving us in this direction. God's put all these things on our hearts. God's trying to show us a better way. And sometimes it's those moments where we get hit with that past. Sometimes that's where we get hit with the stuff I'm talking about, of like, really you? Sometimes that's the voice in our head. Sometimes that's the people around us. Sometimes that's the people we love. Really you? You think you can do this. Sometimes it's us, but sometimes it's the people we care for the most. Sometimes it's enemies, but sometimes it's our parents. Sometimes it's our friends. Sometimes it's our, our significant others. But there's that voice of just, really you? I know where you came from. I know what you did. 
Again, past is any time before right now. I was with you yesterday. I saw what you did. You're going to try this now? Aren't you in the penalty box? You're really going to try to pull this off? I've seen what you've done. So I think it's interesting that Paul says we forget what lies behind and we train our eyes on that upward call. And what does that tell me? It tells me in those moments where the spirit in us is just, we want to be more. <laughs> we want to be everything he's made us to be. We want to be exactly who he's told us to be. I feel like it's in those moments the most that we forget what lies behind and we focus on the upward call. When people come against us, when lies come against us, when truths come against us even, the truths of our past, sometimes we can't deny those. Sometimes those are the moments where like, I forget what that is and I need to focus on where God's taking me now. And it's the upward call. Because here's something else, guys. If people only talk to you in the lens of your failures, if people only talk to you based on how the past happened, how people hurt you, how people did this to you in the past, then how do you ever grow? How do you ever not harbor bitterness? How do you ever love them if you only see them in light of their mistakes? How do you do that? And as yourself, how are you ever motivated to be anything more if people only see you in the areas you fail or you struggle? Sometimes it's not even a, like a failing. It's just I struggle with this. And sometimes people are so quick to judge and so sometimes the last thing we do is extend like, no, I see like you're a child of God. If they're not saved yet, you are made in the image of my God and you are loved. Regardless if you hate my God, regardless if you spit on me because I follow this God, you were still made in the image of God and I love you and I believe in you and you have such a purpose. Not only should we focus on the upward call, we should be willing to look and see that on other people. And that starts with ourselves, that starts with the people that have hurt us and wounded us. We can say, I see so much more in you. I say, I love you. I say, I don't hold. If my God does not hold your past against you, why the heck do I think I can? Our God, growing up, I knew a lot about God, I thought. I didn't know God. I didn't know the heart of God at all. And so God became this angry and mostly silent tyrant in the sky. I hear about the Old Testament, and I hear all these stories of judgment, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that... Yeah, okay, I see that, okay. I missed the love, I missed everything. I only saw judgment, I didn't see justice because I wasn't looking that hard. I saw what I thought was condemnation and I didn't realize that it was just trying to lead people to repentance. Guys, I want us to be free from our past and I want us to be men and women that help other people get free from their past. Because I'm sick You know, the truth is, our God would rather reconcile than punish. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what circumstances have told you. I don't care what struggles you've been through. I mean, part of me does because I love you guys, but also, like, let's get real. I don't care. Why is that? Because my God would rather reconcile than punish. And how do I know that? Because he sent Jesus. The wages of sin is death, and we were all in death. And if the God of the whole universe was only about punishment, Jesus wouldn't have come on the scene. God wouldn't have sent his son to die for us, to live. Sometimes the death isn't, like, of course the death is gnarly, but he lived through 33 years in a broken world where no one knew who he was. And in the end, even the most meaningful relationships in his life, everybody betrayed him. He didn't just walk through death, he walked through life for us. And he did all of that so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Our God would rather reconcile than punish. So why are we so quick to punish? Why are we so quick to judge? Why are we so quick to hold all these things against people instead of striving for reconciliation? I'm sick of us being bound by all of this stuff. I'm sick of us just binding other people with this stuff, guys. And I'm not putting this on you. You guys are amazing. You guys are my family. I love you guys, but I've done this too. We've all done this, I think. And if not, you guys can teach next week. <laughs> but we've all done this, you know? <laughs> Freedom from the past is also an interesting too, be, thing too because 
It's not like the past never existed. Yeah, we forget the past, but sometimes past action have present consequences. Freedom from that's not what I'm talking about. Although sometimes God delivers us from that supernaturally too, and it's amazing. But sometimes my past has real present repercussions. And maybe we feel like those are binding us, but some of those we can't get out of. We can pray about it, and that's awesome. But that doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> infringe on our freedom. We can still be dealing with consequences from our past and still be free. Some of you guys will be like, I don't feel free. No, no, no. <laughs> my past still has me in a stranglehold. Let me tell you something. You can be free. It can change everything about your attitude. It can change everything about your heart. And that stuff changes circumstances. It might not change the punishment. It might not change some of the stuff you're walking through. But it changes everything about when you're walking through it. We can live as those free. And why I think this is so cool, I didn't even write this down, but later in Acts chapter 26, the very thing that I, I read the whole thing about Paul, it's cool because he's actually in chains before King Agrippa. And there's this point where basically King Agrippa is basically like, at the end of it, he realizes that the whole thing was just to evangelize to them. And so the king is like, I'm on to you. This is the Dominic uh, translation. He's like, I'm on to you guys. You know, he's like, Paul, do you expect that all of us will be like you? <laughs> Meaning a believer. And Paul's response is amazing. Paul's response is, I would want that all of you are like me except for these chains. <laughs> and then the king and all the rest of the people judging him, they said what's amazing about this man is if he didn't appeal to Caesar, if he didn't agree to be further passed along in the court system, he would have been free right now. Paul chose to remain. Paul chose to appeal to Caesar because he knew God was taking him toward Rome. Why would he do that? Why would he let the past bind him? Because he understood his freedom. <laughs> I love that he's in chains, and the guys are like, he wants to be like you? And he's like, I want all of you guys to be like me, because he understands freedom. I want you all to be like me, except for these chains. And I love that the people are like, you could have been free. And I know what Paul's thinking. Paul's like, I am free. And why do I bring this up? Because I think he demonstrates a really cool principle of like some of us that have past mistakes that we still have repercussions for. You know what I mean? Some of us have to pay for some of our mistakes. That's just part of cause effect. You know what I mean? And again, sometimes God saves us from those, but sometimes we just have to walk through it. Sometimes it's justice, you know? But I think in those situations, we can walk like Paul, who he's in prison. He's still in chains. He's literally just negotiating court date after court date after court date. And they're like, you could have been, you could have been free. Dude, you're in chains. He's like, I wish you were exactly like me. Because he knew what the real chains were, and he knew he was free. <laughs> so that the metal chains were like, what is this? All this is is so I can get before you and tell you about Jesus. <laughs> we can be that, guys. For the past that you feel like you can't shake, you can change everything about your attitude there. You can give all of it to God and be like, how can you use this? And notice that Paul was standing before kings telling them about Jesus. All because he says, I know I'm really free. So I can wear these chains because that's the way I reach you. Because that's the way I do what Jesus tells me. I'll wear these chains. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll wear them because I know I'm free. <laughs> Jumping around. We're getting, we're getting really scattered. Going off book, but that's okay. <laughs> I want to talk to the people in the audience that are kind of like myself, which is it's really easy to fall into the self-hatred, somehow I messed all of this up trap when we're thinking about our past. And again, past being anything before this present moment. Um, it's really easy to live out of that place if we're not careful. And that is a really bad place to be because it breaks us down. It feels like it corrodes us from the inside. It makes us feel not valuable. It makes us feel monstrous. It makes us feel disgusting. It makes us feel so low. It doesn't make me feel like the bride of Christ. <laughs> and the thing is, guys, it's not like we should run around and be super joyful for every horrible thing we've ever done. Not at all. But what I want to talk to you guys about is that there's a really big difference between godly sorrow that leads to repentance and condemnation and guilt and shame. And sometimes we can't always see that fine line. And we end up in embracing all of the shame and guilt and condemnation and we start to spiral, and things start to get worse and worse and worse, and we feel like we're swimming in the dark, and we don't know which way's up anymore. <laughs> and we, sometimes we think that that was from a place of like, 
oh, I'm sorry, I've blown it. We think that that was leading us onto the way to repentance, but in actuality, what we've really done is just kind of spiraled on ourselves, and we're getting further and further away from the godly sorrow, <laughs> which leads to repentance. Um, and the thing is, condemnation is never what we're supposed to walk under. <laughs> God loves repentance. We should all strive to be repentant. I want to be most of the day because Lord knows there's stuff to repent for. Um, but condemnation should not be the thing I operate out of. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, There is therefore now no, wow, that's a tongue twister. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Again, this is true. <laughs> he says, for those in Christ, there is no condemnation. Jesus took all of that. If we're feeling condemned, if we put ourselves in condemnation, if we, if we submit back to that yoke of slavery, we forget that Jesus satisfied the wages of sin. We forget that he came and he took it and he did that so that there would be no more condemnation through him. So number three is we are repentant, not condemned. A word on condemnation. Condemnation is often a self-blame where we just beat ourselves up long after we've confessed and been forgiven by Christ. This is that zone I'm talking about, that zone where so much of us can camp out and live in for years and years and years, which is just, I've confessed. I've tried to repent. And even though the scripture says God is faithful to forgive me of my sins, I don't feel like it. And sometimes I let that feeling dictate more than the word of God that says, this is true, and you've confessed your sins. I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. So sometimes I walk in that place of because I don't feel this, because I still feel kind of dirty, because I feel like I earn time in the penalty box still. I don't feel like I've been forgiven, and I don't walk in freedom. But the truth is I confess, and I am free. I've been forgiven. Jesus is faithful even when we're faithless. But we can choose condemnation. We can choose that self-blame. We can choose to beat ourselves up into that place where we just feel so small and just and that's that's not the spirit we're supposed to have that's never the spirit we're supposed to carry i hate that we think that sometimes this god what he wants from me is to feel like i hate myself because of all these things i've done wrong that's not what he wants he doesn't want us to feel condemned he doesn't want us to feel like we're just completely nothing what he wants is repentant hearts. What he wants is our heart. <laughs> Why do we let our, ourselves think that what he wants from us is to, for us to feel condemned? But we do. And what happens, again, for a lot of strong believers even, is we, we end up in our little penalty box. And what is that? That's, hey, there's an opportunity here. Or right after I messed up and I've, I've, I've repented, that means I stopped, I turned around, I'm like, God, I'm doing it your way. Right after that, an opportunity comes up for me to do the things of God. An opportunity comes up for me to be a better man. And you know what the thing that stops me sometimes is? Oh, I just messed up, though. Don't I have to, like, take a warm-down lap? Don't I have to, like, you know, don't I have to sit? Don't I have to take a time out, you know? And the truth is, God says, no, you're free. God says you can't out-sin the cross. God says you, you confess your sin. I'm faithful and just to forgive you of sin. That is why I came. That is why I died. That's why I came back for you. We can't live under condemnation. We can't live under shame. We can't live under all these things that tear us down. Because again, it's that twofold thing of it's not good for us. It eats us away until we feel like there's nothing left. And that's when we feel like anything at all. And it's not how we're supposed to live. And then again, second fold is that, again, taking the magnifying glass off of us is that then we are no longer what we need to be as the church so that other people can see what freedom looks like. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, this is talking about Jesus. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse blew my mind. 
this verse blew my hair back in a way that I just did not expect. This was not in like the Christian coffee cup top 25 for me, you know, it wasn't like stacked between like John 3.16 and like, I don't know, some other verse that's in that. Um, so when I first read this, I like threw my Bible on the ground and was like, what? Like, like, <laughs> like what? You know, and then I had to repent because I'm like, your word. Um, but really, guys, like, I, like I'm going to read it again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Literally, Jesus came down and took our place so that we could take his. For some of us, this isn't new information, but for some of us, we still need to be wowed by this sometimes. What does that mean? That means the worst things I have ever done in my whole life. Jesus says, I will take the rap for that. I will take the punishment of all of that, and you take my freedom. It's not even, a, it's not even just the freedom. It's like, I'll take all your dirty, you take my righteousness. What does that mean? It means I'm no longer free. I mean, I mean it doesn't mean I'm just free. Sorry, I'm, I'm free. Oh, but like... <laughs> See that? Oh, yeah. I had to rebuke that. You see that? Um, but anyway, it means we're, we're not just free. It means we're also righteousness of God. <laughs> Why is that important? Because sometimes we get stuck in those places of like, I'm stinking gross. <laughs> I'm stinking doing horrible stuff. I'm still sassy. I'm still doing all this stuff. Worse things than that, you know? And we can be like the last thing we feel is righteous, and we forget verses like this. That he who wasn't sin, Jesus, the only person that could take that, did take that for us. So that he could clothe us, so that we could be his righteousness. We are not supposed to live under condemnation, guys. We're supposed to live as the righteousness of Christ because this stuff was paid for. This salvation, Jesus, everything he did for us is not something we want to use our gift receipt for. Like, he paid something big for this. You know? This was a big, bad deal. Like, we really need to hold on to this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The reason God did this was for us. That was the motivation. The reason he put Jesus on earth and threw all of this stuff and put him to die was for us <laughs> so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> we need to walk in freedom. We need to demonstrate this gift we've been given, guys. We need to understand that we've been made new. We need to understand that we are the righteousness of Christ. We need to understand that we're valuable and beloved. Sometimes that's the most important thing is we need to understand that we're loved. If we don't feel like we're lovable, we're ignoring <laughs> everything God says of it's because I love you, because of my concern for you, for your sake, I gave you everything. For your sake, I clothe you in righteousness, I clothe you in light, I clothe you in all this stuff because he loves us. <laughs> and we can't define ourselves in the scope, <laughs> we can't define ourselves by our failures and our mistakes. We can't define ourselves by all these false identities we try to make for ourselves. We need to define ourselves by Christ. And he says, I'm the righteousness of God. He says, I'm more than a conqueror. He says, I'm a beloved son now because of what he did. I'm a beloved daughter for some of you guys. <laughs> he says that about me, and that needs to be more than, oh, I'm the guy that screwed up last week. <laughs> I'm the guy that screwed up real bad about a minute ago. I'm the guy, no. I was thinking about this, I was really, really thinking about it, and I was thinking about this idea of like, when I was praying this week of like, what does it mean to be free from our past, what does it mean to be free, what does that mean, God, and I got taken to an interesting place, which was just thinking about like, what do I mean to you, <laughs> we're in a relationship now, that's how Christianity works, we're in a relationship, so what do I mean to you, what is this, I basically like DTR'd God, because DTRs are awesome. I basically was just like, what is this? What am I doing here? You know, I've been walking this Christian game for a long time, but sometimes I still get to that place of like, God, what is going on? 
who are you? We've been, we've been in this relationship for a while, but seriously, who are you? I've never even seen this before. What is, who are you, you know? What are you? What have you done? What is going on, you know? I need to know what I am to you. I need to know what you are to me. I need to remember these things. So I ended up in this weird place where I just kept thinking about the idea that as believers, we're the bride of Christ. And you know what? After all these years, I'm weirdly comfortable to be think in the lens of the bride of Christ. I made my peace with that as a man a while ago. I'm like, yeah, I'm the bride of Christ every freaking day. You better believe it. Um, but I was thinking about that. I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean that we're the bride of Christ? Because we, we have that. Sometimes I still file it away under that stained glass window of like weird church phrases. Like, you know, like atonement bride of Christ, you know, like tabernacle, like Sometimes I still file it under that sometimes. I'm like, what does it mean, bride of, like, like, sometimes I treat it like an abstraction when I feel like it's not supposed to be as abstract as I make it. Like, sometimes I treat it way too symbolically when I feel like God is just saying very simply, we're his bride. I think I overcomplicate things. And I just let myself reflect on that and really meditate on that and just pray about that. I'm like, what does that mean? That means that Jesus is the husband. That means that as the bride, we're one with him. That means that we have like maybe the most special relationship in the world is what we share together with Christ. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. But honestly, it didn't like all the way break my heart yet. I was like, oh, cool. When you say we're the bride of Christ, we're the bride. Cool, you're the husband. Awesome. And you know, like I was like stoked, but I wasn't all the way like weeping somewhere. But I got there. <laughs> and what got me was really when I just thought of that, like, practically. Of, like, instead of thinking of us as individuals, thinking of, like, Jesus walking with someone who's, like, actually his bride. Like, treating this like a real image, you know? And I was like, what do we, what do we mean to you? What does it mean to be free? <laughs> and I think that what God was trying to tell me is that you're my bride. I laid down my life for you. I did all of this for you. I want you to be free. I want you to be everything you were born to be. I want you to just glow. <laughs> I was thinking about, like, I, literally, I was just trying to contextualize it, try to put it in that framework of even my own life, you know? I'm a single dude, been for a while, maybe not forever, praise the Lord. But I was thinking ahead, and I'd be like, look, someday I'm going to have a wife. You know, someday a lot of you guys are going to have spouses. Praise the Lord. Some of you guys might already. I don't know everyone in this room. But, like, yeah, come on, praise. That's right. Um, but I was thinking about that, and it's, like, devastating when I think about it in terms of, like, if my bride is walking around condemned, <laughs> if my bride is walking around hating herself, if my bride is walking around chained up and bound, and even though she's free, she's still living as if she's dying. She hates herself. She's not moving. And every good thing I see in her, every amazing thing, like, I know who you are. I know why I married you. And when I know that and then I see her not living any of that, and she just hates herself. And she just tortures herself when I say, you know, and especially when, let's say my bride has only wronged me her entire life. I'm the only one she's ever wronged and done disgustingly horrible things to me. And I can say, I forgive you for all of that. And then literally that bride chooses to still hate herself, to still condemn herself, to still be eaten alive. How much does that break my heart? How much would that break your heart to think, no, you don't, you don't, like, like, I love you. Like, I really mean it. <laughs> like, like, I gave everything for you. Jesus says, I, 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 I stepped out of glory to earth to bring you guys back to me. I died for you. I came back for you. I did all of this so that on our wedding day, you could wear white. I did all of this so that you could be healed of all of those things you've been hurt by. I did all of this so that you could be with me forever because I love you. It was for your sake. 
And suddenly that image got really real. And suddenly freedom wasn't an abstract. Suddenly, like, it wasn't about my little situations. It was about I am loved by God. We are his bride. Why are we living like he hasn't given us everything? Why are we living like he only sees the worst in us when he's the one that said, no, I know, I know exactly what you're made for. I know what makes you come alive. I know the gifts I've given you. I know, I know you. I know better than you know you. I know better than your parents, than your spouse, than your significant others. Than, I know you better than all of them. And I choose you, and I love you, and I would do it again. I love you. And suddenly I started thinking about that, and I'm like, in the light of that, me saying like, well, I stepped a toe out of line yesterday, so I kind of hate myself today. Suddenly that's like ridiculous. <laughs> suddenly it's just like, what? Suddenly the worst thing I've ever done in my whole life, I'm like, what? Suddenly it's like, do we really look at Jesus and say, no, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't do anything for me. No, I'm sorry, you, you can't. You can't save me. He's like, I've already set you free. Stop acting like a slave. I've set you free from everything you were before. That's why I said born again. That's why I said I transform you. That's why I said I make you new. Stop living as if I can't do that. Stop living as if that doesn't work. Colossians 1.22 says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is just another example of what he did. He did all of this so we could be before him unashamed. And we could actually be before him. We could actually be with him. We actually somehow get heaven, but more than that, we actually get being with his presence forever. We hit like the eternal jackpot. Guys, when we really start to understand this, old insecurities, fears, old identities, all the things we made this, all the lies that we've let other people speak over our lives, all the hard and harmful truths that people have spoke about our lives, they need to fade away. They need to submit in the light of that truth of just he is more than. He gave everything for me. He chose me. Let me tell you something, guys. Significant other time, husband-wife husband time, you don't choose a spouse for the rest of your life because, oh, I kind of just want the best for you, or, oh, I wish you the best. No, we call those friends. Who do we choose to be our husband or wife when we say, I want you forever? <laughs> we say, you're the one. We say, I want to become one with you. I want to do this thing with you. Highs and lows. I want <laughs> just your beautiful days, and I want your ugly. But no matter what, the ring's on my finger. You're mine. You're with me. We forget. <laughs> we forget that that's the level in which we were chosen. It's not like Jesus did all this and then, like, condescendingly pats us on the shoulder and be like, you're awesome, champ, looking good. It's like, you're my bride. <laughs> You're the one I picked. <laughs> you're, you're the wedding, that you're the whole thing. <laughs> you're not an acquaintance. You're not this thing I did to some random stranger. You're mine. <laughs> you're it. You're chosen. You're the, you're the whole, you are the jackpot. That is, come on, do we see that? <laughs> Why do we live like it's just like, I feel sorry for you. I guess you can crawl in through the doggy door and maybe you can kind of hang out over there. It's like, no, I'm walking you down the aisle. No, we're doing this thing right. No, you're mine. See, by my honor, you rule with me. You're with me forever in paradise. I choose you. We need to stop living condemned. We need to stop living in our past. We need to stop living in the way that we've let ourselves, we've let ourselves sometimes become this amalgamation of all of these things we've done or all of our failures or all of these old ideologies we've held instead of letting us become exactly what God's made us to be. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, 
this is scattered. The message part is essentially done, but we're, we're going to have an opportunity to do something fun right now. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and invite the band up a little bit. I didn't want to just bring a word. <laughs> I didn't want this to just be another night where it's just all the same stuff. I want us to be moved. I want us to be pierced through the heart. I want us to start seeing ourselves in the way that God sees us. I want us to be everything he says we are. I want us to be free from all the things that we felt like we were before, and I want us to be his bride. I'm sick of living in shame. I'm sick of watching people I love just live in shame and guilt and condemnation for all these things that we can't go back and change anymore, even if we want to with everything in us. I think it's interesting that in the garden, the first sin happens, and they hid from God ashamed. And the thing is, we still hide. As if, I'll go get clean over here, and then I'll go back to my church friends. Or I'll go get clean over here, and then I'll come back to my God. Or I'm going to go clean up over here, and then I'll start doing the things of God. And it's so, it's like a negative feedback loop, because that only gets us further and further away when what we need to do is get back in the presence of God with repentance. <laughs> what we need is to go back to God. Who, we need to go back to Jesus, the one who transforms. Because the thing is, when we slip up, and we get guilty, when we get condemned, when we get all these things... We just want to get really far away from God and the things of God because it's like, oh, yikes. But the thing we really need to do is get back into our fellowship. The thing we really need to do is get back before, just, just on our knees before God and say, I repent, God, but I need you. And even if I feel like you burn like fire because of all the nasty stuff on me right now, I need you because you're the only way I transform. You're my only hope for change. You're my only hope for that future I know you have for me. So right now, we're going to have a time of just, like, response. Um, we're going to just try something here. Um, basically, I'm just going to call us to repentance. Um, I don't know if the lights can dim a little bit for this. Uh, awesome. But basically, right now, you don't even have to do this out loud if you don't want to. Not all of you have to do this. But if anything's just tugged on your heart, I just want to make a space where we can just honestly pray. This isn't ministering for each other's time. If you get a word for someone else, we'll have time for that later. But right now, it's just you and God. And for some of you here, that might be the most terrifying place you've been in a long time. It's just back before God. But that's the space we're making right now. It's just, I'm here. It's that space of, I feel condemned. I feel gross. I feel all this stuff. But I know that you're my only remedy. I know that you're it. <laughs> I'm repentant because I don't do this right. I'm repentant because of this, that, and the other thing. I'm repentant because I need you. And I don't want condemnation. I don't want shame. I want, I want something real. I want what you promise. I want that freedom that's with your spirit. Yeah, so right now, I'm just going to give you guys just a minute, wherever you are, <laughs> whatever that is to you, just go for it. It's just you and God. You don't have to say it out loud. I don't want to get you in another trap of condemnation. I don't want you to be insecure based on what people around you are doing or thinking or saying. It's just you and God. It's just the bride and the bridegroom. It's just. It's just you before the one who knows you best and still believes in you and still calls you his own and still calls you worth it. of repentance is just I'm done doing it this way and I'm turning around to do it your way let me tell you guys wherever you're at sometimes that turning around and walking the other day, way seems insurmountable and he doesn't ask you for the mountaintop today all he says he needs from you is just I'm willing to turn around and take the first step in the opposite direction toward toward me toward Jesus that's all he's asking he's not asking you for anything that you can't actually give him he doesn't have a bar so high that we'll never reach it. What he has for you is just one, just stop where you're at, turn towards me and give me one step. That is repentance. That's a repentant heart. It stops the ways that we've fallen short and it says I'm turning around toward you and one step in that direction. We don't need to take the hill today. We just need that step toward him. That's repentance. That's walking in repentance. That's walking toward freedom. We thank you, God, for the godly sorrow that's with us in those steps because, God, we have persecuted you. 
but you're big enough to take it. You're big enough to say it was still for your sake. I did all of that. And we thank you, God, and we receive that. So right now, the next thing we're going to do is just a call to receive forgiveness, love, and just freedom from God. And again, this is just right where you're at. This is just you and God. You can pray about it in your own way, and I'm just going to pray over you. If you want to have your alone time, just don't listen to me. I give you that right, and I just, I love you guys. If God's working on your heart, then just don't even listen to me right now. But I will be praying over you real quick. God, we are repentant. God, we are sorry for the mess we've made, this thing you've given us. We're sorry that we hate ourselves. We're sorry that we feel so ashamed, that we feel unlovely, that we feel short of everything you say that I am, everything you say I've made you something amazing. Right now, God, we rely on your Holy Spirit. Right now, we rely on your Holy Spirit to demonstrate what only your Holy Spirit can do. And that is to be who, who the Holy Spirit is, which is the thing that sets us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right now, wherever we are, we rely on you to set us free. Because you're the only thing that can. We thank you, God. We just say, pour out your Holy Spirit right now, God. We say, pour out your Holy Spirit on those you love, God. And that's all of you, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you've done. God, pour out your spirit on those you love, and that is each and every one of you. God, we receive your forgiveness. God, we receive your love. God, we receive your freedom. You tell us the doors are open, and God, we want to walk through those hand in hand with you. Here's the other thing too, guys, that prison analogy. I might have been wrong before. It might not have been Jesus just unlocks the door and takes off the chains. It might also be that Jesus is there with his hand out saying, I want to walk you out. <laughs> that sounds more like him, doesn't it? <laughs> God, we receive that. We receive your love, God. We see, receive your love that just transforms us, that makes us new, that sets us free. God, we thank you because you can love like that. Even if I've never loved like that in my entire life, even if I've, I've never been loved like that in my entire life, there is a love that sets us free, and it's yours, God. You're the love that sets us free. You're the love that's strong enough, and we believe you. We say that your spirit is strong enough, and we rely on that when we don't rely on ourselves. We rely on you to walk us out and take us home. We rely on you to make that place of belonging that we can breathe easy with you and just say, this is everything I was ever supposed to be. Here is where I come alive. Here is where I'm made new. Here is where I'm free, is with you. So we receive that in Jesus' name. This is the fun part. I know you guys are having fun already, but this, is, this really just gets me happy. The next thing we're going to do is just rebuke the spirit of condemnation, shame, and self-hatred, and pretty much anything else that keeps us from freedom in Christ. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. I am really excited because I believe he can do what he says he can do, and that set us free. So in the name of Jesus, we just break anything that keeps us bound, God. We break the spirits of condemnation, of guilt, of shame, of self-hatred, of fear, of insecurities, of bitterness, of anything that gets in the way of my freedom. Anything that gets in the way of our freedom. We cancel the assignment of the enemy, God any demonic powers we just cast out in the name of Jesus. Anything that keeps me in chains, anything that keeps me from being free, anything that keeps me from taking that freedom that was paid for by your blood, by the blood of my spouse, anything that gets in the way of that, we break in the name of Jesus. We say with the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and that is more than enough. Oh, man, we just curse any lie that tries to get in the way of that. We curse any thoughts of condemnation or shame or guilt. We curse anything that gets in the way of, I am so loved. I am so lovable. And it's not conceited. It's not arrogant. It's this is what you told me. I am so loved by you. And you set me free because you love me. 
because this is what you wanted. You didn't want me to be dirty. You didn't want me lying in my own filth. You didn't want me hating myself. You didn't want me broken. You called me. You found me. You asked me out in that place, but you said I'll make you whole again. You said I will make you free, and we accept in Jesus' name. And the last step was we just move in the opposite spirit. <coughs> and I think I already started doing that. But it's basically just <laughs> declaring the freedom we have in Christ. Last week we talked about freedom and identity. This is that time to declare that. I am made in your image, God. That means I'm beautiful. I was made with a purpose. That means I have destiny. That means I have things that are going to make me come alive. You've made me someone that can receive love. And you did that so that you could abundantly love me. For right now, any of you guys too that haven't have a hard time receiving love, we just break that in Jesus' name. We say your love is strong enough to overflow. Your love is strong enough to break the levees. Anything that's tried to hold it back, God, it's broken right now in Jesus' name. We receive your love because it's overwhelming and it's the best thing we have. Jesus, you're the best thing we have. We receive that. We receive the promise. We receive your spirit. We receive everything you have for us. We refuse to submit back to slavery. We refuse to carry everything that you set me free from. We laugh at that. Why would I do that when I'm this loved? Why would I do that when he's clothed me in white? Why would he do that when he has a plan for me, when he loves me, when he's given me so many gifts that I've just barely tapped the surface of? Why would he do that? He loves me. I'm going to hold on to that like nothing else matters because ultimately, compared to that, nothing does. First and foremost, before I'm someone who moves in these gifts, before I'm someone that acts, before I'm, any, before I'm someone who can love, before I'm someone who can anything, before all of that, I'm just something that can be loved. That's it. That is, that is priority numero uno. I'm loved first. That's how this works. So we receive your love, God, and we thank you, Lord. So we just bless and seal all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, guys, I might just have the band play a little bit more if that's cool with them. They're amazing servants. But right now, I want to just encourage you guys.